0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 4. Last week, I covered several of the lesser-known judges in the book of the same name, culminating with the events leading up to Samson's birth. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm beginning with a quick refresher of the Nazarites, the Judaic religious group God told Samson's parents he was to be a part of. And with that, let's get started. I did the deep dive into the Nazarites almost two years ago. So, a quick refresher is in order. The requirements for this group are explained in Numbers 6. As an adult, they voluntarily take a vow to abstain from certain unclean things. Things like all wine and anything else made from the grapevine. Things such as cream of tartar, grapeseed oil, and the like. Though alcohol that is not from grapes was allowed. They also could not come into contact with corpses, even close family members. And probably the most well-known requirement, they could not cut their hair. Which, of course, is part of Samson's story. The person taking the vow would follow these requirements for a designated time, a period named in their specific vow. After that time had passed, the person would immerse in a mikvah, which was a ritual bath. Then, three offerings were made. A lamb as a burnt offering, a ewe as a sin offering, and a ram as a peace offering. The ceremony also involved a basket of unleavened bread grain offerings, and drink offerings, with these accompanying the realm as the peace offering. As part of the ceremony, the person taking the vow would shave their head in the outer courtyard of the temple, and then place the hair on the same fire as the peace offering. Of course, this applies to adults that chose to become a Nazarite. Samson was born into it, but, like the angel of the Lord told his mother, then his father, All that was expected from those that willingly chose to become an Inherent, all of that was expected from Samson. Chapter 13 wraps up with Samson's birth. Chapter 14 begins well in the future, when he was an adult, leaving out everything that had happened in the meantime. The natural way to fill in the blank is that his parents raised him according to the instructions they had been given. 14 kicks off with Samson, hiking down to Tilna, where he sees a Philistine woman, which almost seems like a non-event. He heads back home, and when he gets there, he tells his parents, I saw a Philistine woman at Tilna, now get her for me, as my wife. Already this is seeming like a rather odd conversation. His parents answered, Is there not a woman among your kin, or among all of our people? That you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson did not relent, telling his father, Get her for me, because she pleases me. Then a peek behind the curtain. We're told that his parents did not know that this was from God, for he was seeking a pretext to act against the Philistines. At that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Recall that in the last chapter, we were told the Israelites would be subservient to the Philistines for 40 years, and since God was choosing to get involved, that clock must have been winding down. Samson traveled with his parents to Timnah's vineyards. When he got there, a young lion roared at him, suddenly. Remember, at that time, the now-extinct Barbary lions lived in the area. Simpson was going to have nothing of the lion. The text tells us that the spirit of the Lord rushed on him, and he tore the lion apart barehanded as one might tear apart a kid. Don't freak out. Not a child, but a baby goat. Not that I imagine tearing one of those apart is neither easy nor pleasant. All of this apparently went down when Mom and Dad weren't around, as he didn't relate his story to them. He had to tell it to someone, though, otherwise we wouldn't be reading about it. After the lion-ripping incident, Samson went down and talked with the woman, and she still pleased him. After some time had passed, Samson returns to Tilna. It couldn't have been too long, though, as the body of the lion was where he had left it. Bees had built a hive in the lion's carcass, complete with honeycombs. Not letting the opportunity pass him by, he scraped out some of the honey from the carcass with his hands, enough that he ate it as he traveled further. He would run into his parents and share the bees' production with them, but he didn't tell them where it came from. So far, this story is unfolding in evolvingly strange directions. According to the text, Samson's father went down to the woman, and Simpson celebrated with a feast. As the young men were accustomed to do. I actually find that wording simply poignant. Usually, such phrasing is only found in the King James, Old English and all, and the New Revised is usually far too academic and lacks a certain flow. But here, that one little part, as the young men were accustomed to do, it flows off the tongue, not quite to the level of, through the valley of the shadow of death. But still, it stands well in its own regard. Back in the text, when the people, presumably the people of Timnah, saw Samson, they brought thirty companions to be with him. Samson tells his new friends, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty festal garments. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty festal garments. Pausing for a second. In our time, clothes are relatively inexpensive. But in that time, with manual harvesting and weaving, not so. And linen and festal garments, even more so. Unpausing. Those gathered around Samson answered him, Ask your riddle, let us hear it. He tells them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. But for three days, they could not explain the riddle. They still had four days to go. On the fourth day, another pause. The footnote in the New Revised Standard, along with the NIV, record that other Old Testament Hebrew text, specifically the Syriac, and some versions of the Septuagint, don't say the fourth day, but the seventh day instead unpausing again. The 30 guys, and that's a bit of a cultural assumption as the text doesn't say if they're men or women, but men are more likely. Anyway, the 30 guys approach Samson's new wife, and remember, she's Philistine, and they say to her, "Coax your husband to explain the riddle to us or we will burn you and your father's house. Have you invited us here to impoverish us, She takes their threat seriously, and instead of getting Samson in the loop about what's going on, she takes a different tact. She goes to him, weeping and saying, You hate me. You do not really love me. You have asked a riddle of my people, but you have not explained it to me. He replied, Look, I have not told my father or my mother. Why should I tell you? She would weep before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and because she nagged him, on the seventh day he told her. Then she explained the riddle to her people. On the seventh day, before the sun went down, the men of the town said to Samson, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Did he just call his new wife a heifer? Those were different days. After this, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he traveled down to Ashkelon. When he got there, he killed thirty men of the town, took their spoil, and gave the festal garments to those who had explained the riddle. So, in order to live up to his end of the bet, he killed thirty men, took their clothing, and gave it to those who threatened his wife to get the answer. What an error! He left Ashkelon angry and headed back to his father's house. But before he did, he had to avenge the betrayal of his new wife. He did so by giving her to the fellow who had been the best man at his wedding. And Remember, Samson is the hero in the story, but not perfect. And that's chapter 13. Fourteen begins at some point later, but we're not told how much later. What the text actually says is, after a while, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, bringing along a kid. The wheat harvest was between mid-May and mid-June. His wife was living in her father's house. When Samson got there, he told his father-in-law, I want to go into my wife's room. But her father would not allow him to go in and told him, I was sure you had rejected her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister prettier than she? Why not take her instead? This just keeps getting stranger and stranger. Samson then says, This time, when I do mischief on the Philistines, I will be without blame. Whatever that means, maybe he was feeling guilty for the last time when he killed 30 of them, then stole their clothing, just to live up to his end of a bet. Samson caught 300 foxes and took some torches. These were likely red foxes native to the region. Really, the most widespread fox in the world, including in North America. He then turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. One torch per pair of foxes, He lit the torches and let the foxes go into the Philistines' grain fields. This not only burned up the forthcoming harvest, but also the vineyards and olive groves. The Philistines take notice. Of course they would, losing that much food, especially in the manner it happened, is a little out of the ordinary. Someone asked, Who has done this? Others answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite because he has taken Samson's wife and given her to his companion. The angry Philistines went to his father-in-law's house and set it ablaze, burning him and his daughter, who was still Samson's wife. At least it seems she was, but then again, she had been abandoned by Samson, then given away by her father. Also, recall this is what the Philistines threatened to do if she didn't spill the secret to the bee and lion riddle. A bit ironic. This revenge angered Samson, who said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will not stop until I have taken revenge on you. He struck them down hip and thigh with great slaughter, which is how it's phrased in the New Revised Standard. The King James is similar, relaying that Samson smote them hip and thigh. I was curious about this hip and thigh phrase, thinking maybe it was a form of attack, which is possible, just not probable. As it turns out, it's an English idiom alluding to an unsparing attack to overwhelm with blows, which is close to the translation of the NIV, where he is said to have attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Clearer, but not as colorful. After the slaughter, Samson went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etim. The Philistines weren't going to just sit back and let his slaughter slide. Instead, they went up and encamped in Judah, making a raid on Lehi. The men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? The Philistines answered, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. It seemed Samson had stirred up a hornet's nest. 3,000 men of Judah traveled down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and told Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then have you done to us? He replied, As they did to me, so I have done to them. The Judean men answered, We have come down to arrest you, so that we may turn you over to the Philistines. Samson answered them, Swear to me that you yourselves will not attack me. They said to him, We will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will not kill you. So, they tied him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. One thing to keep in mind was that Samson was not from Judah, but he was a Danite, brothers, but really part of a very extended family. As the Judeans escorting Samson came to Lehi, The Philistines ran out towards them, shouting, Just then, and again, the spirit of the Lord rushed on Samson, so much so that the ropes binding his arms became like flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. In other words, they were soft and easy to break out of. Samson happens upon a fresh donkey's jawbone. Using it as a weapon, he kills a thousand men. Presumably all Philistine. When he was done, he threw out the jawbone. From that point forward, the location of the Curious Massacre was called Ramith lehi meaning the hill of the jawbone, with Ramoth meaning hill and Lehi translating to jawbone. During the fight, apparently Samson worked up a great thirst. He called on God, You have granted this great victory by the hand of your servant. Am I now to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? With this, God split open the hollow place that is Lehi, and water came from it. I'll cover the little known about this place in the future. When he drank the water, his spirit returned. He revived. Due to this, this place was named En-Hakur, meaning the spring of the one who called, which is said to be at or near Lehi to this day. It was at this point that Samson officially became a judge, holding the role for the next 20 years, which is how chapter 15 wraps up. 16 begins with Samson still a judge. What's unclear is if this was just after he used the jawbone against the Philistines, or sometime later. What we're told is that he went to Gaza. When he got there, let's just say he got to know a professional lady. The people of the city, the Gazites, hear that he's either in the city or nearby. Many of them, the exact number is not given, but many lay in wait for him at the city's gate. Keep in mind that the general practice was to close the gate and lock up the city at night. Their plan is to wait until morning, and when they spot him, they plan on killing the judge. Samson, though, doesn't sleep through the night. Waking around midnight, he's in the city, and with the closed gate, you'd think he'd be trapped. But then again, this is Samson. After he awoke at midnight, he made his way to the city's gate, and its closure didn't prove to be any sort of barrier. He simply took hold of the doors of the gate, along with the two posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. That's a distance of about 40 miles, 60 kilometers, in a straight line. What's unusual about this feat is what the text doesn't tell us, that the Spirit of God came on him. Either it was left out, or this seemingly amazing feat was closer to his normal. Sometime after this, Samson is said to have fallen for Delilah described as a woman from the valley of Sorak. This was on the border between Dan's territory and Philistia. While it's not explicitly stated, it's implied that she was Philistine. This implication stems from the next part of the text, where the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Charm him, and find out what makes his strength so great, and how we may overpower him, so we may bind him in order to subdue him and we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. The bribe worked. What's curious to me is that with the last woman, his unnamed wife, they had to threaten her. Now, bribes were on the table. Delilah goes to Samson and asks, Please tell me what makes your strength so great, and how you could be bound so that one could subdue you. Samson replies, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that are not dried out, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. She relays this to the lords of the Philistines, who bring her the prescribed bowstrings. While he's sleeping, she ties him up. Wherever they were, was large enough to have several rooms, as we're told there were men lying in wait in the inner chamber. Delilah wakes Samson, acting surprised, and telling him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. Of course, he hadn't been honest with her and snapped the bowstrings binding him without any sort of effort. The verbatim description was that he snapped them like a strand of fiber snaps when it touches fire. Delilah, still not knowing the source of his strength, calls out to him. She tells him, You have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you can be bound. He seems like he's on to her, maybe, though he doesn't send her packing. Instead, he tells her, If they bind me with new robes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. You can guess what happens next, along with the result. In fact, it played out almost exactly like the last time, including the lying in wait in the inner chamber. This time... It was written that the rope snapped off his arms like thread. Third verse, same as the first, and second for that matter. This time he tells her that if she were to weave the seven locks from his head with fabric from a loom, so woven fabric, and make it tight with a pin. Nope, that didn't work either. She wasn't giving up. Delilah tells him, How can you say, I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me three times now, and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Finally, after she nagged him day after day and pestered him too, he was tired to death, nagging and pestering. And it worked. He told her the secret, the whole secret, saying to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and be like anyone else. Bingo. Delilah realizes that he has told her his whole secret, and she sends for the lords of the Philistines, telling them, This time come up, for he has told his whole secret to me. When the lords of the Philistines finally make it to her, they brought the promised money, 1100 pieces of silver, She lets Samson fall asleep on her lap, then calls a man, having him shave off the seven locks of Samson's hair. And with that, he was back to being a mere mortal. In the footnote, it said she began to torment him. Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will go out like I did the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him, so the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the millstone in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. At some point later, the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to their god Dagon giving Dagon credit for delivering Samson. When the people saw the blind and bound Samson, they praised Dagon even more. They threw a party in the festival house, perhaps their temple. Perhaps a precursor to the temple to Dagon we would learn about after the Philistines captured the Ark. They had Samson brought from the prison to the festival hall to entertain them. They made him stand between two stone pillars. Samson then asked the attendant, tending to him, for a favor. Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, so that I may lean against them. What's implied is that these pillars held up the structure, or were at least a vital component. At this point, the narrative pauses for a second to provide a little background information. The hall was full of men and women, including all the lords of the Philistines, so many that there were some 3,000 on the roof when Samson was between the pillars. Unpausing. Samson calls out to God, Remember me, and strengthen me only this once, so that with this one act of revenge, I may pay back the Philistines for my eyes. Some sources say one eye, others say two. But when they gouged out his eyes earlier, all sources, at least those I used for the podcast, said both meaning he was completely blind. Samson grasped the two middle pillars, leaning his weight against them. Then he said, Let me die with the Philistines. He strained with all his might, and the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it, killing more that day in his final act than he had in all of his acts before, combined. His brothers, along with other members of his family, made the journey to retrieve his body, burying him in his father's tomb, which was between Zorah and Eshtail. The last sentence in the chapter reminds us that he judged Israel for 20 years, which gives me a good stopping point for this episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up with the story of Micah. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there... Be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.